Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. Conversations on key issues and new developments in financial services in Ireland. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. My name is Claire Scannell and I am the professional support lawyer to Matheson's Financial Institutions Group. I'm joined today by my colleague, partner, Ian O'Mara, also the Financial Institutions Group. Hi, Ian. Hi, Claire. Delighted to be here. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Irish government's public consultation on the exercise of national discretions contained within the Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation, MICA, and in particular, Matheson's submission to that consultation. Ian, before we get into the consultation itself, it might just be helpful to remind our listeners of the genesis of MICA. Yes, yeah, so the Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation is a new legal framework which will regulate European crypto assets for the first time. MICA aims to protect investors, but also to ensure financial stability and also providing a framework for innovation and fostering the attractiveness of the crypto asset sector in Europe. I suppose up until now, we haven't had a dedicated framework for this sector of financial services regulation. And that has meant that firms trying to grow businesses in this sector have had to navigate a patchwork quilt of different frameworks that were never consciously designed with their business models in mind. So this is really a groundbreaking piece of law and it's going to set the the standards, not just for Europe, but probably internationally in terms of how crypto assets are regulated. Okay, great. Thanks, Ian. And I suppose just maybe for listeners to remind them that MICA itself was published in the official journal on the 9th of June this year and entered into force on the 29th. the provisions relating to issuers of asset reference tokens and e-money tokens, that is stable coins, apply from the 30th of June 2024, while the remaining provisions that apply to CASPs apply from the 30th of December 2024, just so people have that kind of framework in mind. So MICA is a regulation, Ian, rather than a directive, and it will apply directly in member states without the need to be transposed. I mean, the tenant behind this is to ensure harmonised implementation across the EU. So why then do we have national discretions at all? Yeah, so the regulation makes provision for certain parts of MICA to be varied or tweaked by member states. There's four key areas, really. There's around the public disclosure of inside information. This is relating to the market abuse framework that MICA has set up for crypto assets. It also allows national member states to tweak the administrative penalties and sanctions that can be applied for breaching MICA under their national law. And then it also allows them to set and vary the terms of the transition period and the authorization process for firms who are looking to become authorized under MICA once it comes into full force. So they're very specific areas. Pretty much everything else, though, there's there's not a, there's not a lot of deviation permitted from. But in these particular areas, it's open to member states to take a view if they wish to. Okay, and I suppose just on that point, I actually have in front of me Matheson's submission to the department, which yourself and, and partner Joe Bichel and others in the team prepared. It's not an insignificant piece of work. In why was it important, Matheson, to to contribute to the consultation? Yeah, well, I suppose we in Matson have quite a lot of expertise in advising firms in this particular sector, particularly those firms that have set up in Ireland. You know, over the last number of years, firms have sought to get regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland to do various parts of their business. Very often you'll see the crypto platforms tend to have both a fiat aspect to their service where they're holding customers' money, which is then perhaps 
exchanged or converted into virtual assets or vice versa. As I mentioned earlier, the patchwork quilt of regulation has meant that certain aspects of those business models have required to become authorised under traditional financial services legislation. And then there's also been this kind of more recent advent of a concept called a virtual asset service provider registration. And I suppose what we see in Ireland is a lot of multinational groups with a couple of subsidiaries in Ireland, some of which have certain licences and others which have registrations with the Central Bank of Ireland. What we wanted to get across to the Department of Finance is that given the peculiarity of the sector in Ireland, the transition measures need to be carefully considered to make sure that firms in the sector have a clear but also flexible pathway into the new micro-regulatory framework. Okay, you know, I mean, the provision of that context for the department will be really important. And so hopefully they'll, it'll resonate with them and, and it will have the desired effect. We might turn now to the specifics of the national discretions. And, and you've kind of given us a, a brief idea of what the four of them are. It strikes me that the firm's impacted would be most interested in the provisions regarding the transition periods and the possibility of simplified authorizations as they would have like an immediate impact on them. If we look first maybe to the transition periods, what was the the detail and the discretion and, and what position did Matheson take regarding it? Yeah, so really what we wanted the Department of Finance to recognise that if groups have multiple entities in Ireland providing these kinds of services, that they have a clear transition framework and pathway into the micro regime. I think the challenge really is, is recognising that those entities within groups that have been properly regulated under, say, payment services laws or e-money laws already have very sophisticated governance frameworks. They also have well-developed risk management and compliance frameworks. They also have a lot of substance and typically they would have what we call a a three lines of defence organisational structure within them. So those firms are well placed to meet the new and onerous standards that will apply to firms providing crypto asset services under MICA. And we want the law to just recognise that and and give, give those firms the best opportunity to meet the standards required by MICA. In contrast, some of the firms which have just been registered as virtual asset service providers, they've been only subject to AML supervision, really. They haven't had to develop the same level of substance or as sophisticated internal governance and control programs as other entities in their groups. So really, it's just about calling that out and making sure that industry has a clear pathway to getting over the the framework into MICA. And so what about the actual time frame for the transition period? What's the issue there? Yeah, so MICA provides for an 18-month transition period. And really, there's going to be a lot of new rules for these firms to get on top of. So probably they do actually, in fact, need an 18-month period to grapple with those and to have their dialogue with the Central Bank of Ireland about how they're going to comply with these new rules that apply to MICA. So in our opinion, an 18-month transition period does seem appropriate for firms already in the market seeking to get licensed under MICA. I suppose, you know, ultimately, if firms can't meet the bar set by the new MICA regime, they won't get a license on an ongoing basis. They will have their license pulled or, you know, the 18-month window will expire and they'll have to stop doing business. So it's not to say that there shouldn't be a a robust regulatory framework for firms in this area or that they shouldn't have to meet the new standards. It's just about making sure the lead-in time for getting things done right 
and understanding fully what the regulator expectations are is done in the right manner. I suppose there's just a reality that these things do actually take a certain length of time. And I suppose just and member states have to confirm the position they're going to take on this by the 30th of June next year. Do we have any indications whether we'll come in before that or, or otherwise? Yeah, well, the Department of Finance closed its consultation on the 15th of September and we in Matson met with the officials running that consultation during that time. We understood from what they were saying that they wanted to come forward with policy recommendations fairly quickly. So it's quite possible we might have clear direction of travel by the end of the calendar year, but no absolute guarantees on that. Okay, that will still be a, a positive for impacted firms to hear that. The other discretion that you mentioned earlier is that relating to simplified authorizations. I suspect simplified authorizations are something which firms would welcome themselves, but I'm sure it's a little more nuanced than that. What's Matson's view on that? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I suppose MICA contains provision that allows countries like Ireland to apply a simplified procedure for authorising firms under MICA. You know, it essentially means that regulators don't have to look at a lot of contents they've been previously provided with by firms. For example, maybe their ownership structure or certain parts of their compliance frameworks, etc. We in Matson have actually taken the view that, you know, the law doesn't necessarily need to be prescriptive on this point. You know, ultimately what we think is more important is that the regulator indicates to industry a clear direction of travel around what information it will require to assess an authorization application. And it's worth noting that the European Security and Markets Authority, ESMA, is doing a consultation at the moment on the standard application forms for MICA. So we'd be hopeful that the Central Bank of Ireland would just adopt those forms as its own and that it wouldn't look to gold plate them. And also then, you know, where it feels it's appropriate to do so, that it would just use its, its good judgment to make sure that it doesn't have to make firms regurgitate information it already has on its files for that firm. So, you know, we haven't taken a strong position on that point, but we think, you know, it's it's certainly open to the regulator to, to give a clear direction in terms of policy on this area. Okay, so it appears that, you know, deciding on the discretions is just, the first part of the process, if you like, and and we need the department, and as you said, more particularly the central bank, to provide clarity in how these discretions will work in reality and how they'll impact more broadly. We touched earlier, Ian, on how the use of regulations ensures greater harmonisation across the EU, but can the discretions in and of themselves lead to gold plating, you know, in some jurisdictions and then make certain member states appear less appealing, if you like? Yeah, well, I actually think that this whole point around the 18-month transition period is actually the most important part of the whole framework, really. You know, we've seen some countries, such as the Netherlands, suggest in their consultation papers that they would set maybe only a six-month window for transitional applications to be dealt with, which is a very short space of time. And you might you might take the view that, you know, they want to be very tough on crypto and they don't really want to, you know, have an abundance of applications given that they're not going to spend very long looking at them. On the other hand, you know, if you if you allow a full 18-month period, it probably gives industry clarity and, you know, is probably more likely to invite a, a greater number of applications. So, 
you know, it's not necessarily saying that the, the framework should be loosened or supervisory standards should be weakened. You know, MICA sets very clear onerous conduct obligations on these firms going forward. So there's no ability to, to cherry pick those, but certainly countries can differ in, in terms of how they approach attracting firms in this area to their country. And would you have any concerns in that context when it comes to Ireland? No, I wouldn't really. You know, I think in fairness, Ireland has often not sought to build place legislation or vary the terms very often. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in a number of cases, the Department of Finance doesn't choose to exercise any of the national discretions offered to it under the MICA. You know, the MICA framework is a very robust one and Ireland's position might well end up being just adopting a robust position by default. Ian, thanks so much for your insights today. Uh, I expect listeners will have found it really very useful. As you said, we await the government's final positions and, you know, maybe by year end, let's see. And obviously then the necessary clarifications from the central bank. I just like to remind people of the Financial Institutions Group Top 5 at 5 email. It's a complimentary weekly subscription service where our subject matter experts highlight five the previous week's key financial services developments. So, If you're not subscribed and you would like to be, please reach out to myself or Ian and we will have you added to that list. And indeed, if you have any questions on today's episode, uh, please reach out. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. For more information on issues raised in this podcast or for any general queries, you can contact claire.scannell at matheson.com or ian.omara at matheson.com.